Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Idol Australians with James Madison and Osher Ginsberg. Exploring the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. And welcome to Idol Australians. I, I had listened to a theme song the other day, Jimmy. There's a bit of Blink-182 in there. Probably more than a bit, you know. A little bit of... Might have to chat with Toe Hider about that. I'm Oshie Ginsberg. That's James Matheson. This is Idol Australians. Thanks for being here. Wherever you are in Australia, you're probably locked down. I hope you're okay. We had a bit of a meltdown, you and me, last week. A little meltdown. We talked about helicopters. And we talked about Golden Century. I think we got a lot of it off our chest. Do you feel a bit better this week or are you still in the... Was that only last week? Yeah, it's know, impossible right? to tell. Time has disappeared. Yeah. Any semblance of actual days or um, the passing of the hours is starting to blur, you know? We're just sort of holding out for what? When do we get out in New South Wales? October, November, <laughs> Victoria, go in, they go out. Queensland are trying to batten down the hatches. WA is just like, ha, see you suckers. Yeah. They are sitting pretty. They're loving this. They're laughing at us. They are laughing at us. I don't know. I don't know what's happening anymore, and I think that's the real – that's the part that I really struggle with. I was, I was talking to a mate, a scientist mate, the other day, and I think the thing that really bothers me the most is this. It started – last in 2020 when we were like, oh, we've got to crush the curve. We're listening to the science. And we did really well, all right? We listened to the economic science. We listened to the behavioral science. We listened to the medical science. And we did pretty well getting the curve down, right? And it was almost almost politically agnostic. It was like, no, this is what we just have to do. There's science involved. Now we've kind of gone down the same way we almost go down with things like climate policy and things like that. There's the epidemiological science, there's the economic science, and there's the behavioural science. And they're like, yeah, 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 but I'm in a pissing contest with another premier right now, so how about no? Uh, <laughs> we're going to do something else. <laughs> and that's the thing that really bothers me because people are dying because of it, and it really fucking bothers me, Jim. Mm, I mean, people are in different lived realities at the moment. That's the truth. I, I followed Craig Kelly on Telegram. Oh my like he has his, God, just for fun. He has his own Telegram channel. Oh my God. And it's a whole world of fucking craziness there. And then when you're on Telegram and you're on his Telegram channel, like I guess Twitter, other similar channels get recommended to you. And so, oh my God, you wouldn't believe the rabbit holes I've been going down in order to kind of understand the just vast difference in what I'm consuming in terms of information and news and analysis, which is kind of, there's a lot of mainstream in it, but there's kind of a lot of alternative independent media in there. But then there are people who are listening to none of that. They've said, nah, they've bought the fake news. 
they've seen that the mainstream media does have a level of corruption. So instead of going, yeah, I'm just going to meter my intake of mainstream media, I'm just going to be more cynical about the stories I read, understand the biases that exist, and just have a healthy dose of scepticism around what's being reported. No, they've gone, it's all bullshit. I am listening to none of that, and I'm going to get my news straight from the source, some stranger on Telegram with 30,000 followers. That is now their primary news source about the science, about the epidemiology, about vaccination. So they've thrown the entire baby out with bathwater. And the thing is that they're right, you know, a lot of the media is corrupt. There has been a lot of distortion. There has been a lot of agendas. And so the media has given us enough ammunition to say, "Mm, I don't trust it completely. But to not trust it at all, to disregard it 100% and think that the answer now lies in some dude in a beanie and a YouTube channel who just happens to resonate with your worldview and reinforce your current lifestyle that's that's crazy but that's happening you've got to you've got to understand how wholeheartedly these people are reinforcing their own information not to the point where they're like some of what i see in the news is a bit dodgy all of it anything that is now coming from any mainstream newspaper any radio station any website of any of the broadsheets or any of the tabloids, that no longer has any validity to it. So we're now, we've now got these parallel constituencies, people who are listening and getting their information from places that have journalists who report into editorial boards that have some level, some semblance of control of the quality of information being put out. And there are standards around their reporting And then you've got another subset of the population and that population is growing and growing and growing who have no regard for that and are completely removed and their own reality is running. And here's what's happening. We are separated. There is a curtain between these two worlds now. Unless you are... (laughs) Man, I've got to show you some of the shit. And it's not all... Here's the thing. I'm going to show you some of the shit on these Telegram channels, right? A lot of it's fucking madness, but not all of it. This is the problem. Just like there are some kernels of truth to the fact that they believe that the mainstream media has corruption, inaccuracy and bias and inconsistencies, which is true. A lot of times that happens. Not all the time. The same thing exists, that there is a kernel of truth in a lot of insanity that they are taking at face value. But the biggest problem is we're not privy to that. And they're not privy to what we're seeing either anymore. And the trajectory of that is you've got a situation where you're trying to get a population that's on the same page in terms of how we react in any type of shared emergency or shared tragedy or like this, a shared pandemic. But if we're not even on the same page of what's happening, this has never happened before. Really, not at this scale. Imagine if the London bombings were happening and one side was being told that, yeah, this is a legitimate concern, we need to get in the air raid shelters, we need to ration our food, and the other people were like, no, this is an absolute scam. 
the air raid shelters are gas chambers. Do not go down there. Like that is a recipe for absolute chaos. We're heading there. There is no like, oh, once this finishes, we'll go back to normal. Normal is cooked. Normal no longer exists. And we are now starting to stare down the barrel of parallel worlds because your information sphere is completely different to mine. And how can we have a shared reality? How can we be governed by the same group of people who want the best for us or are trying to convince us they want the best for us if we're not even acknowledging the very basic truths of what holds us together as a society? I agree with everything that you just said, Jim. And I'm, I'm sure your Telegram channel screenshots are going to blow my mind. Um, <laughs> but you're right. The, the, the disassociation with actual reality and then the reinforcement of a false reality by enough people makes it real. Exactly. There are certain institutions that hold great weight in our society that are built entirely on fabricated made-up stories. But because, and we've discussed this in earlier episodes of the show, because there is ritual and there's ceremony and enough people say, yeah, I believe that too, it feels real. It isn't, but it feels real and that's enough. And then Mm. people make decisions based upon that. And yeah, this is an enormous challenge for people who are trying to lead especially when there's, you're trying to lead to a particular re, you know, reflection of a reality that is largely agreed upon by a majority of the society, but then there's these fringes on both ends that go, nope, no, that's, that's actually not happening. And that fringe is growing. That fringe is growing and it's growing. And every time the mainstream media get it wrong, yeah. any time they overstep the mark, any time that they are overly zealous in their reporting and their bias shows, the alternative media streams use that as an example to say, see, see how corrupt it is? Yeah. And more people fall and fall away. And of course, it's a news model that's whole revenue structure has evaporated in the last few years. So journalists having to pump out more stories in less time with less pay and fewer resources Mm. And so, of course, there are going to be more and more errors and there is going to be more and more sensationalism in order to get the clicks, to get the money, to get the revenue anywhere near where it needs to be to have a legitimate model to have proper investigative reporting. So I love the emergence of like strong independent writers that you can support on Patreon or on Substack. But what's, what's the future here that we just have everyone has five journalists that they subscribe to and listen to and then you're listening to five Mm. separate versions that you subscribe and listen to like i i i cannot see a future where a shared reality becomes something that we can manhandle back into consensus jim though i've been listening to there was a podcast you told me to listen to when we started this one one called you are not so smart i've been digging it and there's an episode that he did on conspiratorial narratives and people who dive into conspiratorial around this. And there are, thankfully, commonalities in pathology and commonalities of experience that that exist for people who want to dig into conspiratorial narratives. And I think an early intervention, and I'm talking early, like before the age of 13, before the age of 10, is probably the best inoculation you can probably give to our community. I think there's a huge amount of people that you just described that I'm I'm afraid the paddock gate is open and off they go. But there is a way, I feel, with education of young people around the same way we do around cigarettes and around sex, around consent, 
there's a way to inoculate in many ways young people from this kind of thinking and seeing the trigger, seeing the warning signs in yourself to know when things mm. smell like bullshit. Yeah, but then you you say that, but you I think if you give someone who's spending a lot of time at home enough hours oh, yeah. on YouTube with the algorithm feeding them oh, yeah. more and more content that makes them question everything, mm. you know, the deeper they can go. I like, I reckon I, if I spend enough time on that Telegram channel, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> like, that's terrifying. I'm like pretty well read and pretty well researched and I, I feel like I know what's going on. The thing is the algorithm within YouTube, within social media feeds people more stuff like this, you know, and it takes one QAnon video for you to go down a rabbit hole and, you know, maybe six, eight, 12, 14 hours later of videos, you're like, oh, maybe this is starting to make sense. I'm not sure. But you talk about conspiratorial thinking and, I mean, like all, all, all you need to do is like research five to ten real things that the CIA have done mm. and you start to think, well, maybe if they're all real, like – is it a stretch to think that people with wealth and power are doing things secretive that aren't in the best interest of their population? And you're like, well, all the time. Yeah, it is a massive problem. Look, I'll send you some screenshots. We'll talk more about the the dark, dark, deep rabbit holes that Telegram awaits for you. Um, yeah. I'll see I'll send you some of the crazy shit I've seen. Maybe we'll talk about them on next week's episode. But this week, as we like to do on the show, we're exploring another part of Australian nostalgia, a part of shared history. And, I mean, this this is the sort of thing that has more powerful impact than just something you read on the internet. This is lived experience. And I think it's when we do these sort of episodes where I get most excited when it's a lived cultural experience that a lot of us have had growing up. If I told you that as a kid I got lured into a dark van um, with a stranger, what would you think? Um, uh, uh, well, I, would, I, I don't know, Jim. But I wasn't alone. There was lots of other school kids there. And then the stranger was holding a puppet and that puppet had a little giraffe on his head. Oh. You went into the life education van. I went into the life education van. You met Healthy Harold who was a That's right. A giraffe that told you about how drugs and alcohol and cigarette smoking is bad for you and here's how your pancreas works and this is what farts are and all these sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, if you were a kid of a certain age, anywhere in Australia, you probably would have come across the life education vans. They travel around the country, went from school to school. They had like bright little starlights on the roof. So you'd walk inside and it looked like this indoor observatory. There was a little mannequin on the wall that had its internal organs that lit up. Of course, there was the giraffe, healthy Harold and all this Information that never felt like information about your health. It all felt like excitement and exploration and investigation and fun for kids. And a lot of us have like really happy memories of that van rolling into our schoolyard and then disappearing until it returned the next year. And as a kid, you'd, you'd never really know 
what the fuck was that about? <laughs> and so we've been thinking lately, like, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> this, 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 this van that appeared from nowhere that provided all this fun, all this excitement, and provided kids the chance to learn about their bodies, about health, about what's good for them in a way that never felt like learning. The life education vans did a, a great service to a lot of schools, I think, around the country as well, Jim, by taking, I guess, some of the trickier parts of the curriculum, particularly when you're in primary school and you've got the same teacher year round and that teacher trying to talk to the same kids they've been talking to all year about cigarettes or alcohol or farts or you know, skin cancer or, you know, cyber safety might be a little tricky for them to make that transition into, okay, now I'm the authority on cyber safety. So when this van showed up or shows up, it gives the kids an opportunity to kind of snap out of their regular day-to-day and ingest a huge amount of very important information very, very, very quickly. And these vans have been running since the early 80s. So nearly 40 years, uh, the life education vans have been rocking around Australia and Healthy Harold has been changing lives just like he changed yours, Jimmy. And we actually have with us tonight to join us on the show, we actually have the CEO of Life Education in New South Wales and the ACT. It's John O'Peatfield joined on his right hand by um, Healthy Harold, (laughs) which you can't see on the podcast, but he's actually got Healthy Harold on his hand. (laughs) How are you, John? Very well. Thanks, gents. Uh, awesome to be here and talking all things life education and, and healthy Harold. Yeah, we wanted to talk to you because it comes up sometimes in conversation. For a lot of people like myself and Osh around our generation, it's sort of a distant memory, but everyone you speak to who went to primary school, who's about our age, at some stage got in the van. Like <laughs> The van pulls up in the forecourt or outside or in the teacher's car park and young kids are herded into this dark van (laughs) to learn about life education and and no one and and it seems like no one ever knew it was going to arrive at school but then on the day it was there you're like healthy Harold's here (laughs) get in the van (laughs) how did this all start it's all part of the magic, I think. Um, the whole concept is built. So Reverend Ted Knoffs started life education uh, back in the 70s. You know, he was a, a really interesting guy and very creative and I think that still shows today and, and that's been the whole premise of why this model's been so successful because we're taking such a unique, exciting, engaging opportunity of learning in a, such a different manner uh, to young people and they get out of the class. It's something they can look forward to. They have this unique experience and that's, I think, what makes it so valuable and is what has become sort of such an icon. And Ted Noffs's kind of mantra was that every child is unique, every child is special and there's only one you And, and that carries on today in everything we do. But look, going back into the history and how it all came about back in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s, Reverend Ted Knoffs was um, sort of founded the Wayside Chapel at the chapel in King's Cross. And he just saw this prolific takeoff of, of drugs in the area and recognised there was something that, that needed to be changed and kind of all came to a head for him one evening when a young girl was left at the Wayside Chapel 
doorstep unconscious by her friends, not knowing what to do and, and how to deal with it. And unfortunately, she'd had an overdose of, of the drug and th- that was the kind of the spark of the journey. And from there, Ted and, and the, the group there put in a whole lot of initiatives and uh, stuff around King's Cross to try and support it. But what they kind of realised was that the piece that was lacking was the education. There was nothing that young people were being taught and shown as to why these things were becoming so harmful and just this craze had taken off. I don't know if Harold was a part of that. I don't know if Healthy Harold showed up in, in the late 70s, but was there resistance then uh, of like, oh, you can't be talking to – is it like sex? Like you can't talk to kids about sex because then they'll want to have sex. And the answer to that is like, well, they're already having sex. <laughs> it's like you can't, it's like now. It's like you can't talk to kids about internet porn because then they'll know about internet porn. It's like, well, if they're over the age of eight, they've seen internet porn. Like that's just a fact and you're going to have to be okay with how uncomfortable it is to have that conversation. Was anyone bristling at you know Ted Knopf's wanting to have these conversations with young people? Look, I, I don't know personally myself. It still happens today. Yeah, like there's still debates around pill testing and that type of thing in community. You know, we, we've seen it with mental health. You know, if we talk about it, does it make it worse? Um, so that there's always going to be those debates and, and I'm pretty sure back in the day that there was probably a fair bit of pushback to, to this type of education at schools. You know, the beauty is now that it's part of the Australian curriculum. Um, so everything that we teach in these schools is, is part of our curriculum that shows from government level, from school level, that this is really critical and really important stuff that we need to be talking about. Um, and, and Harold was part of it back then. Um, so Ted Noss actually went over to the States and saw a whole bunch of different programs that, and, and they were doing some really cool stuff over there. And, and that's where kind of the life education idea came about. And there's a lot of sort of myths around how Harold started um, and why it's a giraffe. And some people say, you know, that it's part of this being unique part and that the giraffe spots are, are unique to that particular animal. But a lot of it comes back to the fact that they wanted kids to stop looking down and disengaging and actually look up and see what's in front of them and see their future. And, and that was kind of how he wanted them to come in and have eyes wide open in this lesson. So the giraffe was a way of all the Harold was a way of getting kids to lift their heads and start looking up and engage with the person in front and engage with the content. Like, it was really cutting edge back in the day, and we still use it. Like, it's it's shown the test of time. Nearly everything else has evolved and the tech's evolved and everything, but that concept of Harold, the kids just love it. I wonder if my memory is distorted because it's been so long or I've seen images, but I'll tell you what my memory is, right? I'm in primary school, uh, the van, and it feels like it's uh, a one-ton van, maybe a two-tonner, right, pulls into the car park of our school, and then I think you go in classes of 20 or maybe groups of 20 of us, and you go up these little metal stairs, and then this is my memory. My memory is it's completely dark, but there's stars on the roof of the van, right? And I love you closing in, your eyes and actually imagining. Yes, we're all in darkness. And we're like, oh, look at that, look at that. And then it's quiet for a bit. It's quiet for a while before it starts. And my recollection is, is that we all autonomously start to go quiet because there's nothing happening. You're like, oh, what's, what's happening? And then you're quiet. I remember the organs of the human body lit up like on a wall. Does that sound right? 
Yeah. What's yeah, her name? Yeah, that's it. Tam. Tam. Tam was like a mannequin on the wall whose internal organs lit up so you could see the parts of the body. And maybe like a movie screen that revolved back or something. Yeah. But we I always remember coming out like we were invigorated. We were like, that was cool. Who are these people? The van disappeared and you'd never hear from them again, you know? But are those memories right? And is that the sort of recollection that most kids around my sort of age would have of what that was about? Yeah, well, I went through the program myself. Um, I grew up mm. in regional New South Wales uh, outside of a little town called Urella. I went to Martins Gully Public School and had exactly that same experience. And, you know, I often, when I'm talking to people, it's, you know, you go through, what, six years of a primary school, seven years preschool, primary school, you're probably luckier name four or five of your teachers out of that and you've spent the entire year with them and sometimes maybe two years with that same teacher. But everyone remembers Harold and he comes for an hour, an hour and a half once a year. Um, like it's it's that uniqueness <clears throat> and that special environment that is what makes that learning so memorable. And if we can have kids who are highly engaged and learning and it's memorable, then that memory recall over time is so good. And just the nostalgia of saying, I remember that and associating it with, you know, healthy outcomes is, is a great thing. I remember thinking at the time, oh, man, this van must be really busy. Like how, how many have you had over the years and, like, how many are in action at a time? Because as a child you think there's one van going around the entire country. Like Santa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's obviously only one Harold, but uh, <laughs> and look. So, so I started as CEO for Life at New South Wales about two years ago, and had all these questions. So we've actually got forty vans in New South Wales alone, around a hundred nationally, with about one hundred and thirty sort of specially trained educators. So our logistical operation is massive. Like we've got to link up, link up a, a staff member, a van, a tow truck, a tow truck driver, the school, where do they park? These vans get moved around at like 4am because obviously you can't have a van, like 40-foot van being backed into a school and peak hour traffic kids cruising around. So they, they kind of like our drivers are, um, are legendary. They're, they're the Santa Claus. They drop off the van mysteriously. It's not there one day and you rock up the school the next and boom, there's the Harold van and the atmosphere that's at the school, as you said, James, when that van turns up is, is incredible. Yeah, so our educators go through about a 10-week pretty intensive training course um, before they're allowed in and they do like training sessions, get feedback sessions, so it's pretty intensive. How different is the messages that I was getting as a kid like in the 80s? about the body and about keeping safe. How different is the message I was getting to what we're telling kids these days? Look, it's it's pretty similar. The big difference is that we've expanded. So we started with a focus on drug and alcohol. Um, that was sort of the, the, the big issue. And then that expanded into safety. So starting to talk about, you know, safe relationships and um, looking about sun safety and, and that type of stuff. And, and now we do cyber safety uh, we've expanded into respectful relationships. So we've kind of pulled out some of these key topics looking at uh, well-being. So well-being is a critical element that, that threads across the program now. And all these elements that we teach create positive well-being. If you're eating well, if you're looking after your body and taking exercise, if you understand the impact of medicine and drugs and, and alcohol that they can have on your body, if you've got respectful relationships, you know, if you're being safe with 
um, your environment and understanding your environment. All these things, you pull them all together and you, you nail those and you've got someone who's building their resilience and building their bucket for when things get tough, they're, they're building that resilience. So that's been a, a big focus even more recently and, and especially at the moment where we're all at home, we're doing heaps of this stuff, kids. It's like, you know, imagine being a kid who has to do Zoom meetings all day. Like we need to help them out and so we're, we're trying to give them these skill sets to, to help them through that stuff. To James's point about, you know, how much has changed since the programs began in, in the late 70s, you're describing things like the curriculum is expanding more and more and more and more and more. Does this mean that young people are actually right? Like, do grown-ups really actually have no idea what it's like to be a kid now? Have things actually changed quite a bit? That's a good question. I think it has dramatically. So, like, I grew up, uh, I went to primary school through the 90s and then high school through the, the early 2000s and stuff, and I think I got my first Nokia 5210 or whatever it was in year 12 and we were playing snake and, you know, kids playing snake under the desk. Thank God I didn't go to uni when there were camera phones around. I didn't have a Facebook account until I was in my mid-20s. And, and life education is a bit the same. It's we give kids the knowledge and the awareness and build the skills to be able to handle challenging situations. They're not always going to make the right decision. Like it's not a just say no policy. It's a strengths-based approach and Back when Ted Knopf started, they took, like remarkably, they took this really progressive approach to let's educate people and give them skills and the awareness around how to handle these kind of conversations. And that's transpired um, through the decades. And so I definitely think there's a lot more challenges that we're facing. I mean, when we were at primary school, you wanted to find something out, you had to go into a book and look it up in the encyclopedia. <laughs> now they can, like, bang, they're on their phone. So there's always pros and cons and as we evolve and tech evolves and that type of stuff, as long as we're educating people on how to use that and be safe with it and how to make it a proactive piece, fantastic. Obviously, the, the, the stars are one thing, the anatomical models another thing, but then there's Harold. Then there's Harold. Healthy, healthy, healthy Harold. How did Harold show? I mean, you said he, you know, you wanted to look up to him, but how's Harold evolved over the years? I mean, I've seen Harold as a as a hand puppet. I've seen Harold as a giant life size kind of costume, like you'd see on the Masked Singer or something. Yeah. great tie in there. We should certainly work on next year's season. That'd be brilliant. Uh, yes, yes. How's Harold himself evolved over the years? Yeah, it's it's funny you ask that. I mean, Harold's obviously not a puppet. Harold's a giraffe. Um, Sorry, Harold's a giraffe. I'm glad you asked. There's so much stuff I've kind of got here that I want to talk about. Um, so the first one, and I was looking through some old footage, was kind of this weird arm on a like a, a leveraged arm, and it sat in a cupboard, and it wasn't the hand version that they've got now, but it sat in a cupboard, and then it kind of you'd push a lever and it kind of pop out. And when you actually look look at the old footage, it's really freaky. <laughs> I'm amazed at it engaged kids and it sort of pops out and had these weird buck teeth and it was, it was pretty intense. And then they moved to the now version where you've obviously got the, the puppet in the van and then the, the large Harold, which can be out and about and, and kids can see. And we, we've been trying to get Harold involved in the kids' vaccinations, so the 12 to 16-year-old vaccinations, because it doesn't matter whether you take Harold into a corporate setting or into a kid's playground or into Parliament House. Like we've been at, at Parliament House in New South Wales and the politicians will flock down for a selfie. It's like their favourite time of the year. When we roll in with Big Harold, they can get a selfie, post it, show all their uh, their followers that they're still in touch. Would you get um, 
teachers coming out afterwards being a little bit inspired about how they could educate, you know, break up their classroom? Because part of the reason it stood out was that classrooms are pretty dry. They are pretty uneventful most of the time. But did you take solace from the fact that you've inspired a lot of teachers to take some of the elements of what you're doing and put them into the classroom so that they can just jazz up or invigorate what we can bring to kids, not just in the van but outside of the van? A hundred percent. Teachers, and especially for all teachers, are, are geniuses. I think everyone's figuring that out through lockdown, How what, what an amazing job teachers do. But in primary school, they have to be jack of all trade. They have to do English, geography, maths, science. They have to deliver PDHPE curriculum, like you name it, they have to do it. They have to answer all the weird and wonderful questions that the kids have. And I know what my three-year-old's throwing at me at the moment, so I can only imagine what like seven and eight-year-olds start to come up with. So they have to be across everything, and that's a tough gig when, you know, they're, they're so passionate about inspiring and creating learning for the next generation. So the, the part of the, the way we interact is that we actually take off a whole chunk of the curriculum and the PDHPE curriculum, so around um, drug education, health, nutrition, cyber safety, re- relationships and stuff, uh, can be really challenging topics to talk to and isn't always sort of the key in their wheelhouse of their go-to content. So we actually can relieve them of that and they can come in and they don't have to think, they don't have to plan their lesson, but they can fully immerse themselves and they get ideas. So they come back and they finish. They're like, I loved how you did that interaction. I loved how you calmed the kids down or you explained that or you got the kids interacting this way or that way. And to be honest, most of the time, the feedback we get from teachers overwhelmingly is, how the class shifted when they were in the van. So the kids who were perceived as naughty or, you know, non-attentive or whatever it might be, flip, and they become the kids putting their hands up and answering the question and engaging. And sometimes it takes that new environment and for a teacher to see a kid who it's, you know, is constantly at them in the classroom to do something amazing and answer to go, holy jeez, this kid's got a different side. I need to tap into that and now I know how I can do it. So, yeah, 100%. And we work with teachers all the time to make sure that we're giving them post-visit resources and lessons. So over COVID was an awesome opportunity for us to create a whole lot of online modules and we actually now run a virtual session so we can stream live into a classroom. And then the online stuff becomes the post-visit content that the teachers can grab. They can show the kids an eight-minute video and then we give them a bunch of exercises so we get in there, we inspire them, we inspire the kids. Everyone's like pumping around learning this stuff that's, you know, maybe otherwise dry. And then they're all invigorated to go and continue and then Harold's still part of that journey. So mm-hmm. the the way they pick up those skills and work through it's pretty cool. Yeah, I wonder how many kids out there who are thought to be problematic or difficult or have behavioral issues it's not the kids it's this environment we shove them into like here's 30 of you here's one teacher here's a curriculum that we need to cover an enormous range of different types of learning and behavior patterns and ability to process information and then the ones who can't adjust or adapt or fall into line with this we go uh they're a bit problematic they're a bit tricky you know? So I love that. I love that. I, I think the whole education system itself, like you were saying, teachers are incredible, but I think they're forced to operate under conditions which often don't think about how we can best 
bring out and help flourish kids who learn so differently. I see it just even with my two daughters, how differently two kids from pretty much the same genetic material raised in the same way learn dramatically differently. And you then multiply that by 15, you know, you think, my God, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? Surely this is not the best way for kids to really tap into what brings them joy when it comes to learning. So maybe we just turn every classroom into a van. You know? Yeah, maybe. It's a massive challenge. Like our, our education system is critical. You know, I'm working with this group called Thrive by Five, which is looking at the impact of the first five years. And that's a whole forgotten sect. Like we think of daycare as like, whew, I've got to go to work. Isn't like, you know, thankfully the kids can go to daycare, but there is so much learning and development that happens in those first five years. And that's, there's not equity of access to that stuff at the moment. Like there's, there's a lot of work we can do, but at the same time, given the resources we've got and the way that we're constantly evolving and the education sort of sector is looking at how do we best get the most out of these kids and give, you know, the fact we've got free school from the age of five up to 18 is pretty amazing. You know, not everyone gets that privilege. So there's definitely challenges, but we're doing some pretty cool stuff. And I think over lockdown, we've started to see that people learn in really different ways. Some kids are thriving in this, like Mm. they just get on, they do their work and then they go and play. Other kids who are probably quite good in the classroom are really struggling with it. So I think out of this will come some really good innovation. I know it has for us, but really good understanding of, you know, respect for teachers, but also respect for kids and how they learn. So as someone who's in the business of freestyling education, you know, with kids that have never met before, what would you say to parents and carers who are having to homeschool and having to supervise and like, oh shit, it's 11.30, you've finished everything already? Uh, like, <laughs> what would your words of advice be to someone who's dialing in the Zooms for their kids every day? There's this awesome uh, material uh, available through life education, these online learning things for parents. So I'd encourage you to jump on our website and have a look at that. You know, at the moment, we can't set the expectations, you know, out of the park. Like we've got to reset and if anything, have fun, like be playful and have fun with your kids. And that's what we do in our van. Like we let the kids have fun. It's not a like sit down, be quiet, I'm presenting. It's like how do we engage? How do we learn? Like Google the 10 funniest experiments you can do for an eight-year-old or a five-year-old. You know, we had my young fella in here, he's three, he's a lunatic, and I love it. But we built a racing car track out of cardboard. And for four days until the thing basically wore out, he he played with that. So I think, you know, we're all learning. But I think the best thing you can do is be flexible, have fun and take a deep breath. Like we were all kids once. If a kid gets through their work by 11, let them go and relax, kick a ball or watch a movie or do something. Like don't beat yourself up because that won't help anyone. So take a deep breath, go easy on yourself. If you're an employer, go easy on your employees because they're just struggling through it as well. Look after your well-being, look after your kids' well-being, talk about it, but have fun. Just play with them. Just turn off your computer, turn off Zoom, sit down, play. Yeah, amazing. Amazing advice, man. We've got this big centre out at Colleton. It's massive and before lockdown happened, you know, I rolled in one day and I was like, my son loves hide-and-seek. Why don't we all play hide-and-seek? And we spent an hour and a half as a team playing hide-and-seek and it was awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> you were in the van. He's in the van. <laughs> oh, God, not again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jono, amazing to talk to you. Some great memories there. Um, if when lockdown finishes, people want to get the van to their school, how do they go about doing it? Google Life Education or Healthy Harold. Um, there's an inquiry in our book now. There's a whole bunch and just there's a whole bunch of free parent resources there as well. A um, whole bunch of free teacher resources. There's some awesome little um, webinars from a guy, Justin Coulson, who's a, a, an expert around parenting. And we've just put all our content that we'd normally teach at school up for parents online. Um, so there's like five hours of stuff there. So jump on, have a look around. Um, and yeah, if, if you're a teacher at school, parent with kids at school, let us in. The kids, you won't regret it. So good, mate. Thank, Amazing stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, Jono. Uh, say hi to Harold for us uh, if you see him. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. Even though you're the CEO, you can still open a Zoom call with Healthy Harold on your arm. That was pretty cool. In a puppet. That was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I wonder if you'd be able to pitch that today. Hey, we've got this idea. We're going to educate kids. We're going to herd them into a dark van in a basketball court, and then we're a bloke in there doing a puppet show. It's okay. They don't know. There's stars. <laughs> <laughs> but there's stars. It's, it, yeah, it's completely dark, but there's some stars <laughs> with a stranger. <laughs> Probably not, but it works. It works. I mean, it's um, it's honestly a memory that I have very clearly oh. from primary school. And I don't have many from there, and he's right. When you can create excitement mm. and intrigue and enthusiasm around anything for kids, you know, education becomes easy because they're not learning. They just it doesn't feel to them like they're learning. They're just having fun and they're in, taking in information at the same time. So. It's um, it's very cool. I was so moved when he just described, and I don't think he even planned to do it. He wasn't saying this is what we can do. But when he just described kids that teachers think are problematic are suddenly the most interested and engaged, like that just hit me in the middle of my chest. It really, really did because I, I'm certainly someone who, you know, school's great for a lot of people, but it's not great for all people. And I'm certainly someone that school kind of missed I couldn't quite get a lot of what everyone else was getting and I got kind of created this loop of frustration that I wasn't really able to – I wasn't as smart as I, I know I am now. And, you know, I certainly remember things that were fun and engaging and exciting and then like moments like the Healthy Harold van would come and go and then I was like, why can't the rest of the year be like that? Why can't every class be that exciting? I'd be so into it. And I thought, mm. you know, that was great. And to hear the messaging that he had around just let your kids play, like it's just so important. We've got this kind of idea that, no, you've got to be, you know, 8.30, clock on first bell, 3.05, clock off last bell, work the whole time. We don't. Yeah, we've got to let go of that nonsense. And, I mean, watching kids these days, you realise, like, they can get all their work done in a couple of hours because we have to sort of teach to the slower student in many ways in a class of 30 kids, which means some kids maybe aren't getting challenged as much as they need to be. Other kids aren't getting the type of learning that would just excite them like you're talking about. And, and what happens is for those kids, you know, you were saying, oh, why can't the rest of school be like this or why can't other classes be like this? The other side of that is kids go, oh, what's wrong with me? Oh, everyone else seems to be 
coping with this or everyone else seems to not have a problem with this. What is wrong with me? And so they sort of internalise the flaws that exist within the system. I'm not saying teachers don't do an incredible job because they do. They're extraordinary. But at the same time, the curriculum is quite rigid in the sense of there must be 30 different ways to learn and we can't cater for all of them. We just can't. We just can't because we're not prepared to put the resources in. We're not prepared to bring the class slices down and we're not prepared to, you know, spend the money. And it really is, it's a political choice to really spend a lot of money to make sure that there are these wide-ranging opportunities. I hate that idea that some kids are thinking, ah, school isn't the problem, the system isn't the problem, I'm the problem. Yeah. And and that's super damaging. Here's my pitch, Jim. If you've ever driven out, uh, you know, on the outskirts of town, whether it be Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne or whatever, there's these massive warehouses that all the semi-trailers back into. This is my pitch. Every one of those semi-trailers is a healthy Harold van, but there's a maths one, the science one, the bio one, and in every one, there's stars, there's a stranger, but there's fun and excitement and a transparent mannequin. <laughs> and it's just, you turn up to school, you never know which truck's going to be in the, in the car park, and every day is a new truck. That's my pitch. It's the physics truck. The physics truck's here. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. I mean- or we could just like actually make the classrooms engaging and exciting. Yeah, there's that stimulating. too. Yeah, that could yeah, happen. Rather yeah, than yeah. just get them But on still, the trucks. Come on. Hey, come on. <laughs> trucks. <laughs> can we, can we just go? Okay, shut up, kids. I'll let you go hoot the horn if you be quiet for a second. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, how can it? How can elite private schools compete when the public system have got trucks? Exactly. I tell you, I tell you that you take their vaccinations and never mind. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, what an absolute cracker of an episode! If you have an idea for an episode, you can always get in touch with us, idleaustralians at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. James Matheson is over there. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Bruce Steele's our producer, and the amazing Daryl Misson made the audio sound less crap than it was when we recorded it. Thanks to Toe Hider for the music. Thank you for listening. The best thing you can do for us is to tell a friend. So please tell a friend uh, about this podcast and um, we'll see you next Thursday, which is an interesting acronym. Good night. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.